You'll tell yourself anything you have to, to pretend that you're still the one in control. Jody Picoult. The Dragon Pod from Bending Not Breaking. Book Four, Earth. Chapter Four, Through the Looking Glass. Welcome back to another episode of The Dragon Pod. This has been Pruitt, your host, and I am thrilled to be here today sharing with you all a really cool episode about this really cool episode of The Dragon Prince, Through the Looking Glass. And we have had incredible guests so far, and we are not done yet. We have a guest today, uh, and our guest today has been on the podcast before you may recognize her from one of our Reflections conversations. Michal Schick is back and is a phenomenal writer, for those of you who don't remember our conversation, for the Dragon Prince team, and sometimes complains about writing on Twitter. And they listen to too many podcasts, at least they claim to. And they joined us recently to discuss, again, this Reflection story, Dear Callum, which they had a hand in writing. So, You all should definitely check out that episode, but for now, let's hear directly from our guest. Michal, how are you doing today? I'm great. Thank you for having me. It's so great to be here. It is great to be here, right? It is. Yeah. So, like, tell us, we heard a little bit about the the nature of your work and what you've done for the Dragon Prince, but um, tell us just a little bit, uh, maybe a, a summary of what you do for the Dragon Prince, but then also a little bit about who you are and what makes you you. Okay, so I am an associate, associate writer is my formal title, which means I'm a member of the writing staff. And that means that I participate in all of the story meetings, all of the pitching, all of the plotting, all of the, oh no, that didn't work. We have to go back and reimagine. Um, all, of, all of the sewing, the many bits of the story um, together. Um, I also um, have, was able to write an episode in an upcoming season. That'll be a while, but um, that is part of the job. Um, and I review animation, I give notes, I try and be funny on the Slack. And uh, yeah, so that's, that's the work part. Um, as for me, um, I don't know. I'm a huge nerd and I um, am still shocked that I found myself in this job that is such a a blessing. And um, yeah, I really do listen to a lot of podcasts. Like I only, I only realized like maybe like two or three years ago, which was many years into my podcast addiction, that it like is an ADHD manifestation that like, I like to, I need to have like something in the background and like I figure it's not the worst I'm learning stuff you know whatever but uh yeah I I have ADHD and dyslexia and I'm a writer and a podcast yeah yeah there are worse addictions I can I can think of a few yeah (laughs) yeah well that's wonderful like if you were to recommend a really cool podcast for the the random people that are also listening on this podcast what what are what's a podcast that you 
frequently go to and really can't wait for the next episode every week. Okay. Um, it's not a weekly release, but there's a podcast called Single Malt History with Gareth Russell. He is an excellent historian and um, hilariously Northern Irish. So he has a fantastic accent and just, he really goes deep into some really like some, some things, you know, and some things you don't know about like kind of famous historical events. Um, and he has like, he had an episode sort of recently focusing on like, um, like queer life in, in history and kind of what we know, what we don't know and like how you should and should not like, it was interesting. It was like, we shouldn't make assumptions about people, but also it's important to like read what we have and see and, and draw conclusions. Um, mm. But uh, yeah, I really, really enjoyed this podcast. I have, I have a lot more, but, but that is a highlight for me. I always love when one of those comes out. Well, we love learning and I, it sounds like a really fun episode at least. So I, I might have to check that one out myself. Okay. So I'm curious at what point in the Dragon Prince's history did you come on board? What was what was that like? So I was a fan from the first season. Um, in my one of my previous careers, I was an entertainment reporter. So when it was announced that Aaron Haas was doing a series about dragons, I was like, I could not <laughs> be more in. I, I literally could not be more in. I'm covering this. Um, there was me and and uh, and one of my friends at the site that I wrote for, we were both so excited that we like had to split the coverage um, because it was just, we were so excited to, to get Oh, that's awesome. Um, yeah. And so, I, I mean, I've been watching since season one and then I was hired in March of 2021. So um, at which point a good bit of kind of some of the stuff had been written already. And I kind of joined for the next new season um but also you know we, we, we were doing rewrites and we were doing you know a, a whole bunch of, of different things so officially yeah. I was onboarded in between seasons and uh yeah that's very exciting so when we think about season four which we are now four episodes in we're talking about episode four today uh um, we're going to kind of move into this this next segment which is really exciting for us on the podcast the, the primal source and in this case you are our primal source um which is super cool so it, like having someone that has had uh the, the the backstage view so to speak uh for these episodes is really neat and so i'm curious is there anything that you can share that's something fun or something interesting about the making of this specific episode um, yes. So I was nervous about this. So I brought two. Um, one, <laughs> one is, um, that, you know, the line Soren says when he like picks up the mirror and he's like, Lexio, oh, yeah. uh, Jesse improv that, uh, that was not in the script. Um, oh, that's neat. he's so funny. Um, and, uh, the other is that, um, I think people, people know that there are Easter eggs and like the history, like paintings that we, that we show. Um, but there's more than you think. Those were, those were constructed very carefully. And yeah. Interesting. All right. Now I have to go back and rewatch <laughs> and pay attention. It's not that I don't, didn't pay attention. It's that I looked, but there were other things happening that I had to draw my eye to. So. And that's, then some pretty important, like top level information that's being yeah. dropped there at the same time. So. Exactly. Yeah. Which is really, um, I think that's one of the reasons I love revisiting shows like this is there's always something new to find. 
Um, even when you think you found it all, there's there's more to be found in the nuance of relationships and the nuance of everything. And so I just am a ugh, what a cool. This is it's like this podcast has like a, a really cool background and history and context that makes it work or something, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's really <laughs> it's really fun. Oh, well, thank you for sharing those things. I think uh, that is worth that's worth knowing for sure. Um, I can't wait to go back and rewatch and, and find those little tidbits. Maybe at least maybe it'll go over my head. Who knows? We'll find out. Maybe I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well. Now that we've kind of gotten this this primal source information, what I would love to do is kind of focus in on what we're going to be talking about today. And I was talking with you and we were trying to figure it out and we landed on this lens of control that uh, ultimately you chose for us. And so I'm curious, why control? And then can you tell us a little about, like, about what control means to you and maybe a little story about it? Yeah, so I, um, you know, I mean, my, my first thought about the episode was just, you know, that, that image that's really hard to forget of like Callum being puppeted by Erebos and like, obviously control is so suggested by that image um, and, and what happens in that scene. But like, when I was thinking about it and rewatching it, I was like, there's control, like control is like in every part of this episode. Like yeah. it's, Terry feeling out of control. Viren's advice to Terry is basically like, get yourself under control. Um, the whole Sunfire plot is 100% about like social yeah. control, spiritual control, like interpersonal control. Um, you know, it, it really like, I, I, I was like, oh, I picked a good one. <laughs> I rewatched it. So it was, yeah, I think there's like a lot to talk about um, in, that, in that area. Um, as for me, I, I mean, my main thought about control is that, like, I, I'm, I'm a person with a lot of anxiety and, like, you know, anxiety is basically the vacuum of control that you feel. Um, and it's, it's, it's a response to things you can't control. And, like, yeah, I mean, so I, I, I live with that a lot. And there's, I don't, I don't know that I have a specific story so much as just, like, it is definitely something I, I think about as far as like, you know, reasonably sometimes it would be like, maybe, maybe stop feeling anxious because you know you can't control this. But yeah. like, yeah, there's, yeah. No. Chemicals that, that make you feel things. <laughs> I, I find that fascinating. I also experience anxiety. And one of the time, I'm, it's really fascinating you lift that up right now. I didn't really think about it from that perspective at the end of semesters for me, having been back in graduate school, um, I find that at the end of the semester, I experience like near panic attacks because my schedule is just diminishes and goes away. And all of a sudden I have like all this free time (laughs) and it's this weird thing where my life has been controlled by my schedule and the things that I have to do and what's next on my to-do list. And then all, all of a sudden when that's gone, it's like, <gasps> what do I do? And, and you know, I, I'm kind of the idea of now having to make those decisions and is, is a really way I, I hadn't thought about it in terms of control. And so that's, that's very helpful for me. Um, I appreciate you bringing that up. Maybe our other listeners that experience this will have thoughts on that as well. Ooh, that, whew, okay. I'm going to just shake that <laughs> a little bit. Just dive um, right in, you know. <laughs> yeah. Psychological issues. 
Well, I, my, my hope is that at the end of this, we will have learned something about control that might help us grapple with this, right? Maybe we can learn something from this show by, by thinking about it this way that will help us kind of like process that anxiety in a different way. Um, that's, that's my hope. But before we dive in, we have to make sure that everyone who's listening has caught up. And in order to do that, we have to give them a quick recap of the episode in 30 seconds to be specific. And so I want to just give everybody this opportunity. And would you like to go first or would you like to go second? I'll go first. Why not? Why not? I'm going to bring up my timer. And are you ready? Okay. Yes. I'm, I'm, I want to win this. (laughs) I don't know that that I will. I'm confident that you will win. Uh, I'm going to give you three seconds. Three, two, one, go. After receiving Ibis's message, Zugea and Ezrin and uh, Rayla fly to the storm spire during which uh, Zugea gives kind of like a, a, info dump on um, Arabos's screen, you know, all the stuff about him. Um, Callum and Soren follow with uh, the mirror and then um, there uh, Arabos controls Callum and does a drops a diss track. Um, the tension in the Sunfire <laughs> camp and um, Claudia frees the homunculus from the chrysalis burning hands. <laughs> well done. Maybe like a B. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I, I I mean, it's a solid performance. Like, when's the last time you did a 30-second recap, right? Yeah. They're, they're kind of tough. Um, you would so think, I, like, I, the episodes are, like, exactly 22 minutes and 30 seconds of yeah. material, and it's like, man, 30 seconds. Yeah. Yeah. It seems a lot easier than it is. Yeah. All right. Will you count me in? Yes. All right. Three, two, one, go. All right, so... Everybody responds to Ibis's message and the peeps go back to the storm spire. But before that happens, there's like sludge tarts and Opelli is like, go away, Ezrin. And then the dragang is back and Callum retrieves the mirror with Sor and Flexio. And then Architect is like, whoa, Elvish Customs bad. There's fire. And then the Fallen Star story about he's controlled like everything mage like for years. And the dragon's imprisoned Erevos and it was a big deal. And then the human found him. And then Ibis is dead. And then Erevos possesses Callum and says things. And then the Chrysalis is And that's, that's the time. Ooh, there's a lot that's going on here. I feel like I say that every time. It's because it's because I do say it every time. There's a lot going on in all these episodes. It's hard to cover. Yeah. That. Well, episode four is like the one where, you know, in any season, it's like all the stuff that's built in the first, like the first pod. And now it's like, we're like shooting forward. So yeah. it, everything's like dependent and, and yeah. Can't move forward without more information. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Well, in an effort to control our time, uh, <laughs> I am going to uh, let you kind of control where we go next. Um, so what is a moment in this episode that you want to focus on that helps us understand control a little bit better? Ooh, okay. I think the idea of the, the story that Zubaya tells about history kind of almost having an author in, in a way mm. is like a really interesting way of looking at a story because obviously like this story does have writers you know like we 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 have created it we tell them what to do um most of the time sometimes they don't listen um but um yeah like I I think a lot of us like are in you know especially in like you know uncertain times or or however you would want to phrase it 
like we we look for that kind of guiding narrative and that can lead you to like good things or that can lead you to bad things yeah. and i i think yeah I, I mean it's it's very interesting to me that like zubaya's version of this story starts with like the for the dragon queen dying and there being like a war for her success for succession because that is almost something that like like that should be like that's on us you know that's not on Erebos theoretically right um yeah. like we just we didn't we didn't choose to have a peaceful succession we needed to bring in um an arbiter otherwise we would have gone to war um and I, I guess what I'm saying is like for a story that allegedly has the, this author of Erebos it's an interesting place to start with something that theoretically has nothing to do with him and you know yeah well that's that's fascinating too because the tendency right is to when something goes wrong for people is often there's there's what is it like three typical responses it's they did it i couldn't help it and there's nothing i could do right like and those are kind of similar i'm thinking like it's victim viking like i'm the worst you're the worst and then i couldn't do anything about it um and in this case it's blamey right what you're suggesting is that zubea is putting all of the onus on erebos when in reality if the dragons had a succession line then the this wouldn't have been nearly as bad as it was and i mean the show is saying that it was a mysterious death for luna tenebris right um so who knows i who knows maybe you i don't know uh <laughs> if erevos had a hand in that even like it's it, there's a there's so much potential there but because of the nature of the way he has gone about things over history it seems like anytime there's something that's uh unclear that we can just pass it on and say it was him right yeah. and, and, and that's, in a way, that's a really useful way of looking at yeah. history if you don't want to take it like because you know the the dragons i mean not not to like take responsibility away from Erebos. Obviously, he's responsible for a lot of this. But like, you know, you think about the dragons all being adults, you know, reasonable beings, and you know they they couldn't like sit down and be like, okay, well, it was a sky dragon last, or it was a moon dragon, so maybe this time it should be an earth dragon, or like you know they couldn't reason it out amongst themselves. Yeah, they they allowed that. Um, dissension to creep in and become violent and yes. that that I think is like the weak link in you know because in order to be exploited you have to be exploitable and I think and that's that is a really beautiful point <laughs> like in order to be exploited you have to be exploitable wow so that's fascinating because if they had just said okay we had like this, this terrible thing has just happened. Let's all come together and figure out the best way to do this in a way that doesn't, you know, destroy the world, perhaps. Um, <laughs> things would have been very different, right? But the way they reacted uh, set them up for failure. And it seems like we can attribute this to Erebos, like using that to his advantage. Uh, or we could say that this is like kind of their fault. And we can say it's a little bit of both, right? There's at what point is this accountability that we're kind of talking about? Like it somewhat lies in both situ, both people who are, you know, holding, have the potential to pull strings. That's fascinating. 
I didn't really think about that from that perspective, um, but that's really helpful. So my question then, if we were to learn from this moment, right, is if we have Erevos, who is this all-encompassing, theoretically all-encompassing evil being who, that is trying to control the world, and at least to, to some extent, or at least cause chaos. And then on the other hand, we have this race of dragons. There, when we insert ourselves into this equation, it seems like there are, you know, lots of despots that enter the human world, right? That are tyrannical and dictator-like. I can name a few off the top of my head. And we often choose to follow them for X, Y, and Z reasons. And what made people follow Erebos in this situation, right? What, are the, what is the appeal that Erebos brings? Does that make sense as a question? Yeah, I mean, I think that that really ties well into the whole point of, you know, him being particularly interested in mages, right? Because like, what is magic if not asserting control over, you know, especially dark magic, you know, yeah. which, uh, you know, presumably is what they were, you know, dealing with if they were human. Like, it, you're literally choosing to take something away from something else. You're, you're controlling them and you're using it for your own purposes um, hmm. to do something that otherwise you wouldn't be able to do. And so I, I, I think that, you know, I mean, I, I think if I were Erebos, I'd probably get a kick out of that, you know, because like, yeah. I don't think he, he cares to control. This is just totally my opinion, but like, I don't think he cares to control people who aren't interested themselves in controlling you know, because yeah. like those people aren't, you know, they, they, they don't offer him any, any grip. Yeah. Interesting language there. I, I think it's fascinating to me when Erebos chooses to act a certain way versus when he does not. And we see him have more power than previously suspected um, in this episode, specifically when he literally takes control of Callum. Um, and this is really interesting to me because in the whole buildup to this point, Erebos has been like saying, hey, Viren, like, like spoon feeding Viren, giving him like, I want to get into your head. I think it seems like to me that he just liked playing the game and liked to get in Viren, like, con like liked controlling Viren uh, without forcing control. Right. And this yeah. is what's rather interesting, right? Because there's kind of the forced control where I'm going to possess your body against your will versus I'm going to control you by convincing you to do what I want you to do. And you're going to think it's <laughs> you're, you're in the one in control when it's really me. Yeah. And we see that Erebos, maybe the function of what Viren did led to him gaining power in some way, shape, or form that led him to be able to do what he did with uh, Callum. Um, but also, it begs the question, could he have done that with Viren? Which is a really interesting question in terms of why, when do you exert one type of control over another? Right? So I'm curious, what are your thoughts on, on that? I think there's, there's a lot to be said about like people who want something from you, you know, like Callum doesn't 
want anything from Erebos, or at least he doesn't think he does. He he wants answers about the mirror, and he he knows that there is like there's kind of like a mysterious like question mark, like maybe I want this behind the mirror, but he doesn't want Erebos. Whereas I think Viren was very taken with the specific powers that that Erebos could give him yeah. and he very much viewed it as like you give me your power and like you know yeah. the audience is like oh, I don't think so I think I think it's the other way around and like slowly <laughs> comes to real life. yeah yeah <laughs> somewhere and, around like the thing going right down his throat I'm like yeah yeah and, and I, I think what you're pointing us to is that it's comes down to, to power in a way right if I feel as though I am gaining power in this situation, then I am more likely to do things that seed control, perhaps, because it feels like, which I think that's an awkward way of putting it, because it doesn't feel like that's true, right? It's, it feels like you're gaining control when in reality, it seems like you're losing it. Uh, Yeah, I think, I think it's a characteristic of some people to be able to convince you that you are in power while they are. You know, yeah. like it's it. That's a different. You know, like I mean, it's it's a trope, but like you know, the the grand vizier like lurking in the corner. You know, yeah, like the the, the hand behind the throne. Um, and I think I think that you know, if you talk to most people, they don't they want to be in control of their lives. They want to be in control of their own power, whatever that is. And so there's you know that manipulative element is like is so important for Erebus. I mean, honestly, like it almost makes it feel like what he does at the end of this episode is like almost like childish, you know, because it's so, it's so overt. And so like, wahahaha, I will use you, you know, like, I think, I think there's a lot to be gleaned from like his, Erebus's expression when the mirror kind of like activates. Um, And he doesn't seem to realize that like he was being, like he was about to be summoned or whatever. Like he, he looks surprised. He looks like he's making a quick decision. So I think yeah. that's a very kind of like, you know, almost ironically, like they, they caught him in a moment without control. So he kind of seizes the most control he can, which is, you know, taking over Callum. I love that reading of that. I hadn't thought about it from that perspective. Ooh, that's so neat. Yeah, and and how true is that too? Like of people that when you surprise someone in power and all of a sudden you're like, oh no, what if they have more than I thought they did? Then you get defensive, right? And you're like, let me reassert my dominance. To so to think about Erebos doing this as a a reassertion of, and it even comes out of what he says, like I, my return is inevitable, right? Uh, pulling a you know, a Thanos kind of situation. Um, <laughs> I am inevitable. And, and like, why, like, why go through and like insult everyone, right? Like there yeah. isn't, yeah. there isn't any tactile gain from that, you know, like it's, it's really just kind of like, I know that these things and I can shove them in your face and make you feel bad as opposed to any, like, you know, this gives yeah. me measurable power. And those, those things seem to be like the core uh, shame trigger for, for these characters. Um, and y- you see each of them like, like 
feel knocked down a peg essentially. Um, cause these things cut like right to the things that they're worried about. And the fact that one, he knows them is definitely like an, Oh, Oh, oh you've been paying a lot of attention to these individual people, much less, uh, the greater scheme of things, but, but also to leverage them that way. It's, it's interesting. Like what does he gain by, by doing that? Like what, what does he gain feels if you know what it feels like, it feels like the gain here is not only this reassertion of dominance, but also this, I don't care anymore. And because you're so beneath me that when I get out of it, it won't matter. Like it's a, you're a pawn and I don't care about pawns anymore. Um, so it feels like he's showing his cards almost. Yeah. I feel like that's definitely part of it. And I feel like there's also like, in showing his cards, he is kind of exposing, you know, the lack of control, like non-control that yeah. everyone kind of has, right? So like Zubeya has still lost Avizandum and, you know, he's he's sitting right there <laughs> in the yard, basically. Yikes. Um, you know, can't do anything about that. Rayla is, you know, I, I think she's gotten past her like, guilt over not being able to kill but it's definitely still like where do you fit in the world if this is your job and you can't do it um obviously soren is like you know failed son like what what else yeah. how is that you know ezra yeah. like in over his head as a king and callum just like playing his hair with his hand so i think it's which he doesn't even have to say like almost that is because i don't think callum really remembers we it's not clear if he remembers yeah, I was curious about that too. Yeah, but so I think it's almost more powerful of like an idea to plant in everyone else's head. Like mm-hmm. Callum's out of control. Callum, you're 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 high mage, your first primal mage, human primal mage in centuries. And like he maybe he's not as in control as he wants you to think he is. Yeah, and and that's interesting too because it kind of speaks to this moment, you know, of the the for not foreshadowing, but the hey, spoiler alert, of this, what's coming, right? When he says, hey, Rayla, I need you to to end me, <laughs> essentially, which when that happened, I was like, don't be dumb. Because <laughs> that was like, I, I think I literally said that out loud. Um, like, and buddy, have you, have you met Rayla? <laughs> like, yeah. Well, and I think it's fascinating too, because Rayla's response, had Erebos gotten in her head, right? And had she listened, she might have been like, you're right. I do need to, I do need to end you because you're going to play right into his clutches if you do this again and it's going to be bad, but she doesn't. Right. And I think that kind of speaks to the agency that we hoped for in this story with the dragons and Erevos, right. That we were talking about at the beginning, there's this agency that she's saying, no, I am not exploitable here. This is not something that you can do to control me. I have a boundary and you're not going to let me cross it. Um, and so I guess what I'm sensing here is that Rayla is teaching us the way to combat this in a way, at least in a yeah. later episode. And she's also telling Callum that he's not as exploitable as he thinks he is. You know, she's like, you don't yeah. have to, like, just because Erebos said that and did that doesn't mean that you are, like, take another path, dummy. It's, you know, yeah. it's a different, you know, you, it's, it's, it's choice, it's control. It's you can, you can choose that, which is also really interesting because in that scene, like, different episode but Callum is asking Rayla to take control for him he's like very much like why don't you make this decision and she's like no nobody no 
this is this is your thing to control, your thing to grapple with. Yeah, you know, I I think that's so important, right? I think that what you're what you're giving us, even though it's from a different episode, is very much pertinent to what we're talking about. So I think that's super helpful. So let's let's go to Callum for a second in terms of this episode. So uh, one of the things that I found really fascinating, I was I was thinking about uh, this all like let's get ready to go. They were all like let's see for the storm fire let's see for the storm fire but wait right but then like no but wait and it happens multiple times Callum is able to kind of dictate when people are leaving and when people don't and he does that through his language and it's really interesting to me because what happens when he goes through all of this is it's first let's go get the mirror wait Soren I can't pick it up you do this and then Soren just picks it up and it's like by nature of speaking to people, control occurs, right? And I'm curious what your thoughts are on how controllable we are with language. Mm. Because a simple like, hey, can stop us in our tracks. Um, so I'm, I'm curious, that's a, that's a big question. What are your thoughts on, on that? I mean, I think that's, that's a, I think something that we overlook, like, because I think we've all, we've all experienced that. Like, I mean, going back to the anxiety thing, like, I know that like, if I'm sharing anxiety with someone, my, something I'm anxious about, like the way they respond can have like a direct impact on how I feel, you know? Yeah. And like the, the ability to deescalate a stressful situation is 100% through, I mean, somewhat through physical gesture also, but like mostly through being like, that's okay. It's valid. You feel that way. It's understandable. You don't, you know, like whatever, whatever the top down is, um, it's, it's very possible to use language to either, you know, make it way worse or to, you know, I think, yeah, I mean, Callum is also like, he's feeling out of control of that at the beginning of the episode, right? Like, like Ibis just can't, like, he hasn't seen Ibis in like two years, presumably like he just arrives out of nowhere, something bad, like, you know, he's using magical terms, the staff of the yard, the fallen star, or whatever. Um, and then on top of it, you've got the emotional element of like how to deal with Rayla, like yep. bad feelings. And, you know, he's like, it's bad. You know, it was bad when Rayla wasn't there, but like her being back without his, you know, choice, you know, she didn't send a letter and was like, hey, can I come? She, she just like kind of showed up. Um, yeah. So I think he's, you know, and it, it's important, I think, that Ezrin is the one who, like, tells Rayla that she has to come with them. Yes. Because you know, Callum is very much not in a place to, like, make that decision. Yeah. But also and kudos to Rayla for not, like, inviting herself, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, though, it's, it's language and communication that allow us to exert control. And it is within us to respond or not. And I think something as benign as someone's name can result in really draft. There's a, I, and all of the tropes of like names have power, right? Like when, when you know someone's name, you have the power to stop them in their tracks, to, to control their body so that they turn around. Like we, when we think about something as benign as that, carrying a lot of implication that makes um everything that we do have the potential to seem very sinister but at the same time also grooming us to be controllable which is what i think 
going back to Erebos here, makes Erebos so scary is that he's able to use these tools like language that seem so benign, turn them into something like incredibly sinister, <laughs> right? And I, so I was just thinking about that because Callum offers a lot of commands early on in succession of like weight, for instance, um, that have drastic impacts. We wouldn't have seen bait if he hadn't said that and bait wouldn't have been on the trip, right? So I just thought that was really fascinating. Yeah, that's interesting also, because I mean, if you just think about how many names Erebos has, right? Like he's the fallen yes. star. He's a great one. You know, he 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 just, he has a lot of, like the dis- dangerous deceiver, Zubay calls him. Like there's there's so many different ways that people kind of try and approach and kind of encompass what he is, you know? And yeah. you kind of get the sense that none of them really does it, you know? Like they all yeah. are attempts to to control that, but it's not, he's, he's, he's uncontrollable in that way. He's too big. Well, and I think that's really beautiful too. I, I think about that in terms of, I, I am not just Ben, right? Like there, are, I have so many other parts of me that Ben doesn't capture. Our identity, different facets of our identities could be given and offered names. And the more we name them, the more not control, but awareness. And that self-awareness allows us to better grapple with those different parts of ourselves, right? And when we can capture part of us with a part of our name, we realize that humans are so dynamic and so are elves in this case, but like people, I should say, are so dynamic that one way to to capture them isn't necessarily gonna capture everything. And so we might be able to control a piece but who we are drastically changes. One of my favorite books um, was The Inheritance Cycle uh, by Christopher Paolini and all about dragons as well. Um, and they use this, the ar- archetype of like the true name. And if you know your name, right, in this ancient language, you have con- like a serious amount of control over yourself. But the catch is if someone else knows your name, they have control over you as well. Um, and I've always been fascinating like what would my name be and like the more I learn about myself the more I feel like I'm able to grapple with that and so I've always been really interested in learning the different names of who I am and then trying to figure out how does that allow me to have more control in the world right and I think self-awareness is super important which makes me think of all the people who don't have (laughs) self-awareness in this episode that actually makes me think of Terry and the way he refers to Ibis because he doesn't know oh. Ibis's name, but he he calls him a mage and a skywing elf. Yeah. And like both of those things to him, like I think they they infer different things. I'm 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 totally going into English major mode here. So you know, whatever. Story but, my like, life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like you you know, a mage means that he was dangerous. But a skywing elf means he was a fellow elf, right? And those two things exist like to make what Terry has done even more painful for him. Yeah. Yeah. And I wonder thinking about that too, Mage also carries something that he's clearly attached to Claudia, right? And so being attached to Claudia, who is a mage, right? uh, Is there some sort of affinity for mages even, right? Knowing Mm. what Claudia can do certainly highlights how dangerous Ibis might've been, but also is another affinity that aligns me with just like Elf does. Um, yeah. which makes it all more complicated. Um, so 
this Terry's moment here is gorgeous and how it turned like I just I'm such a fan can I just say like this is episode four right I think it was I don't remember we, they recorded it a little bit at, out of order at the beginning but like this was still really early in Ben doing uh, Terry and I'm just like I'm just watching this and I'm like how are you so good like you've just <laughs> met this character and he's just like tapping into this incredible I love that whatever was, I had to yeah. say that no, I, I hear you. I'm, this is like, it's so good. And I love this track too. this, this path that Terry's on of, I am feeling these terrible things. I want to control them so that I don't feel them anymore. And I'm trying to control them away. Right. And Viren, <laughs> Viren's response is get a drip, get a grip, just control them, just do better. <laughs> like, and it wasn't like, and so I like, tell me, what your thoughts are on, on, on that feedback piece in terms of control. I'm really curious to hear your thoughts there. Well, I think it's so interesting because I think, I think it's out of character for Terry, not in a bad way, but in like a, this has traumatized him to such an extent that he is reaching for control when he usually doesn't. Like Mm. he's, he is super flexible, right? He's like, he doesn't even come out at the beginning until Claudia's like calls him and, and, you know, to, to come and meet Viren. Like everything he does is kind of fluid and supportive of other people. The spell he does for the plants is not like, it's going to bloom now. It's like, put some help to suggest that it may be a few days early, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like it's, so I think he's, he's very much a, a character who doesn't actually need to be in control. And then when he's forced, you know, he takes tragically like the ultimate expression of control in, in in ending someone's life like he I think he's he doesn't like it, it's almost a reflection of like how comfortable he is in himself normally because otherwise mm. like if he didn't he wouldn't feel the need like like most of us I think would have coping mechanisms of control that we would go to but Terry doesn't have those like he just is heartbroken and sad and yeah. You know, and Alviran, who is one of the avatars of control in the show, can say it's like, why, basically, like, why don't you have control? I judge you for not having enough yeah. control to deal with this. Yeah. Oh, man, this is just so tough because what, what we learn from Terry throughout his journey is that you can't control your feelings away. You have, you have to feel them. And I think that is one of the best pieces of wisdom we can take from this whole season, (laughs) frankly. Like that's something that um, is very difficult. And we see Terry Terry is like all kinds of caught up in this and feeling the feelings and it hurts. But I think I would argue that Terry's better off for having gone through this reaction to what he did rather than coping perhaps in a way that would have pushed those feelings aside does that make sense no I totally agree I think Terry I mean it's hard to say that he's like necessarily processed like totally killing Ibis but I do think that he has come to terms with the feelings that he is feeling and like at minimum is like I feel these things and that's okay and is you know not letting you know, not letting them control him, but also kind of like, kind of just, just sitting with them, just having them, you know, like I, I do yoga a lot. And like, 
one of the things that, you know, online yoga teachers on YouTube will be like, is like, just notice where you are, breathe into the discomfort. And I'm yep. like, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to just notice. I want to stop it or I want to change it or I want to, you know, move or whatever. And like having this ability to just exist is, yeah. is really a beautiful thing. And especially when it's painful and, and hard and he has to do it himself. Cause like, I mean, I love Claudia. She's not, she doesn't really seem to be too broken up about the whole thing. Yeah. Yikes. And, and part of me wonders, it seems like Claudia is trying so hard to control everything in her life, right? That oh, yeah. this thing doesn't even register because like, it wasn't me, wasn't me. I'm going to push like, that's, that's Terry. I feel I don't bad. I even think she sees it as being Terry. I, I think that Claudia kind of Claudia's relationship with necessity as she perceives yes. it is so intense that yeah. it's like, if you had to do it, it doesn't count. I, and I mean, Terry I had I, to do it. So it doesn't count. Yeah. Yeah. And so we get to the dangers of what it looks like to, lean into control too much, right? We then become avoidant of feelings at all, uh, which leads us to, you know, slapping Viren across the face, which leads to, you know, killing people, which <laughs> leads to lots of bad things. This is reminding me of a book that I really appreciate uh, called It's Not Always Depression by Hilary Jacobs Hindle. Uh, have you ever heard of this? No, I haven't. Um, it, it, the premise is so she's an LCSW and um, licensed clinical social worker, and she introduces a concept called the change triangle in this book. And it's an inverted triangle, so the point is going downwards. And uh, theoretically, you are outside the triangle most of the time in your life. And it focuses on the the seven C's. Have you ever heard of the seven C's? This is fun: uh, calm, curious, connected, compassionate, confident, courageous, clear right? You want to be there, like, like as, as often and as much as you can, you want to be there. But oftentimes what happens is something occurs, right? And it causes us to feel one of our core emotions. And this is the base of the triangle. Our core emotions are fear, anger, grief, the one we're going to be talking about shortly, joy, excitement, disgust, and even sexual excitement, right? And so then from there is where it starts to get interesting, right? And this is where we get into these characters because this is what happens. You typically will go towards whenever you feel a core emotion, uh, oftentimes there are things called inhibitory emotions uh, like anxiety, like shame, like guilt, which is what we see Terry going through right now, a mixture of like immense guilt slash shame slash anxiety that I would argue it sounds like this feels like guilt. Not that I am bad, but I did something really, really bad. Um, and so that feels like guilt. But and then in order to get rid of the guilt, we go towards these other defense mechanisms, which is what Terry's trying to do when he asks Viren for help. And Viren, all of these things that we do, like, you know, playing it off with sarcasm or um, uh, all of the things that we do that are defense mechanisms, um, lead us to cover the anxiety, the guilt, and the shame, right? Which again, distance us even further from the core emotion. And Hendel argues that if we just experience the core emotion and let ourselves sit with it, then we will be much faster to return 
to those seven C's. Um, so that was a long rant here, but the reason I say that is because we see all of these characters grappling with these core emotions and going towards defense mechanisms and instead of feeling them or going towards inhibitory emotions, trying to like shut them down. And it's just really tough because what I think is paradoxical here is that in order to control these emotions, we have to in fact feel them, right? Um, which is so counterintuitive. And so that was a lot. I'm curious, like, does that resonate with you? Are there, are there thoughts or reflections based off anything in there? Yeah, I mean, that sounds a lot like what Terry's doing, you know, and what, what he comes to, like, you know, his, his conclusion of feel all the feelings is, is basically saying that, you know, that it's, it's, it's all right. And I just, I just have to get through it. And I think that that's a, a really helpful way of viewing kind of the way he moves on from um, what happens with Ibis is because yeah. he has experienced that. And, you know, also things, things get a little distracting yeah. <laughs> um, once, once they get the new, new addition to the gang. Um, but like, it also really makes me think of what's going on in the Sunfire camp, because I feel like that's Ooh, like, yeah. it, that, pushing of emotion turns violent yes, right and that's Oof. yeah and that's the only time we see that in this episode and like it's such a complicated situation and like i don't i don't say this to speak judgmentally of Giannis, who is the character i'm not sure if you ever say his name in this show but like you know his his response to being out of control and to the lack of control of grief and the lack of control that lucia represents in front of him yeah is is violence yeah i i think what happens is uh, this like we when do we act outside of our values right and when hungry angry lonely tired right those certainly are triggers but also like when uh, this admitted loss of control right is um something that's really big and Giannis, who reacts with violence here is just enraged right because there is something here in this ritual that he has lost permanently and will never be able to retrieve and i like part of me is like i get it i know exactly why you reacted that way that feels like a part of me is like she deserved worse <laughs> like and, you know i again i I'm yeah. like, i want to hold back that judgment but at the same time it's like this is a really tough situation. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think it's, I don't want to put Lucia off the hook for somewhat violent behavior either because, you know, yeah. she, she is doing, she's taking a physical action that is ending something, you know, it's, I guess physically nobody's hurt, but it's, you know, and that's how she justifies it to herself. But like it, I think you can categorize it as violence. And I think like, it's it's so sad to me because like you know that there is something so raw about like the idea of that ritual being you know both both like the spiritual fate in you know what is going to happen to his mother's soul but also as a ritual closure as as a control over you know that that's what that's what a lot of grieving you know, rituals are, it's, it's, yeah. it's ways of experiencing and processing what has happened. 
um, and how you can relate to it. And he's, he's really robbed of that, you know, and in so many different, in so many different ways like that. Yeah. It's, it's, it's such a sad situation to me. Cause I, I feel like if, you know, if Lucia had confronted like anyone else over like a normal candle, you know, like this wouldn't have been an issue. Like they probably yeah. would have been like, Oh, I don't like you or whatever, but it wouldn't have gotten to this point. But exactly. because of the rawness and the and the lack of control that they're both feeling, it it like really explodes. Yeah, and I I, I want to visit and circle back to what something you said in that, which was the ritual itself is kind of a means of control, right? I I think that um, regardless of the belief system, right, one could argue that with any belief system, there are uh, rituals that exist that were created to provide some sense of control uh, in order to comfort the people who are still living, right? And it provides a sense of like, I'm going to do this because it will bring me comfort. But also there's this other side of that, which is the belief that they will not be able to move on without this, and that is, I am the only one who has control over that. They have no control over that. They have no more agency in this new realm. And so it is my responsibility to light this soul flame candle to make sure that they get to the other side, so to speak. And that's a lot of responsibility that makes me really nervous <laughs> um, to put on someone, right? I want to believe in in really the the beauty of ritual but also thinking about like the cost of that ritual too and are we now condemning Giannis's mother or grandmother um mother yeah mother to like you know purgatory so to speak um for the remainder of their existence in this form like that's huge right just snuffed by an an accidental miscommunication between two groups of people. I don't know. This is just a, such a complex situation. So I hope that there is some remedy in Sunfire culture, you know, to, uh, to deal with that. I don't yeah. know if there is, but you know, I think, you know, in, in, in Judaism, there's a lot of like the, the ideal way of doing things. And then there's the like, well, if you got a way of doing things, yeah. Um, so hopefully there's a, well, if you gotta, you know, you can light the candle another day or like re relight it or, you know, anything yeah. like that. I, I guess that's my hope because, because the way that it's framed for us is that it's kind of like a one and done. Yeah. And that makes the actions of Lucia all the worse. Right. Oh yeah. 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 Cause then she's making him live with that for, Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's really quite tragic. Um, so if we think about Lucia for a second, this need for control seems to be stemming from a place of safety, right? For like, like the generous assumption is that like, we've spent however long on this camp and it's affecting a ton of people and they will all be devastated if this should go wrong and the risk is not worth the, the, the it's not worth it. And so I totally get that, right? All of this work, I came here for you. 
right? The story that's going through her head potentially, right? And this desire to kind of control this situation without truly hearing out the reasoning behind this ritual and listening to the cultural difference. It, it, it's one of those things where like, I like to believe that people would be better at listening <laughs> in the real world. And at the same time, I'm like, I know that they aren't because look at the world we're in. So what can we learn from this moment? Like, what's the, the takeaway? I mean, from, from this, I kind of feel like it, it really sticks out to me that one of the things that seems to bother Lucia is that Yana seems to want an exception. And mm. like, she's like, no, nobody gets to burn anything for, for any reason. Doesn't matter why. I'm like, you think you're an exception. So I'm specifically going to put this out. Whereas if she didn't have that kind of bit in her teeth, I think she could have been like, okay, I'm sitting here with this bucket of water and like, really do not want to have to use it, but I'm going to sit here with it with you in case I have to, you know, in case it does get out of control. Like there, there, there were definitely other things she could have done, but I think it's that like, you know, it's that ownership that she feels over not just the camp, but also the rules that govern it that are like making this untenable for her. Yeah. I, I'm reminded of policing in, in this regard and the problems with policing, right? Because again, this comes from a position of, of power exerting over, uh, over someone, right? And um, it, policing as a means of control. And it's again, manifesting in this, you know, quote unquote safety for, for everyone. But at the same time, it re- like re- again reminds me that there are so many other ways this situation could have been handled without policing, so to speak, right? Like, uh-huh. is this can it could could this candle have been moved? Like, could we have taken it outside <laughs> and away from the village, like air from the camp? Like, there I there seems to be so many other options, and it just escalated so quickly due to this desire to control from both sides, right? Yeah. Um, and so it feels like there's a, like an element of tunnel vision that happens when we are vying for power. And I'm curious, um, it's, I'm curious what, what to do about that. Like, how do you recognize that you're starting to see in tunnel vision, you know? Um, and I don't, I don't know. I don't know what to do about that. Yeah. Unfortunately, I mean, I think, I think a lot of this would have been, um, helped by some of the cultural uh exchange that is hopefully happening after this event you know like if if it had if we previously discussed the idea that like you know they have to burn these soul candles and also it can be dangerous in a in a camp full of refugees you know that would have like created you know i mean uh, intercommunal conversations and whatever is 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 I guess a trope of like kind of trying to reform policing. But like, I do think that that could have helped in this case, especially because like Lucia is not technically in a position of authority, right? She's she's not a police officer. She is someone yeah. who, at least in my head, her story was like, I have these skills and I can help. And, you know, from, from her perspective, she is so the good guy 
you know, that it, it's yeah. like not even, the, you know, that's also part of it. Like, how can, I think when you think that you're the good guy, you when you have that television, having somebody tell you like, actually you're the villain in this situation is like, is extremely difficult. And you, you know, it's, it's very hard to react to positively. Yeah. Um, that's, yeah. I, yeah. I, and that happens all the time. It feels like when people who are quote on the side of good uh, from, especially when it comes from like uh, religious frameworks, like I, I'm doing good because my religion tells me so. And then that is so uh, that vision of what is good is so narrow that it doesn't encapsulate or allow for other viewpoints then it becomes incredibly problematic. And so, yeah, I, I think when it kind of reminds me of like when, when our theology becomes ideology, it is, it has devolved <laughs> into something that is not tenable. And it's the same way here when, when our framework of, or values framework is the only way it is turned into an ideology and it has become untenable. It is not something that we can project onto the world. Um, yeah, fascinating sure. oof this is a heavy this is heavy it's a big one i like didn't <laughs> i just kind of signed up for this one so i was like oh there's cool stuff at the end <laughs> and then it, it uh yeah turns out there's a lot there's a lot to dig into here yeah oh man well uh i want to be mindful of time so what i'd like to do is uh take a, a short break and come on back in a minute for our final couple of segments so listeners stay tuned everyone we have had a intense conversation about control and i'm really excited to kind of dive into this next segment which is our lens mvp because we talked about a lot of characters and i'm really excited to kind of figure out who is going to win right because there's there's a lot going down so michael in your mind in your eyes in your uh viewpoint perspective which character in this episode has earned the Lens MVP award for control. So for better or worse listeners, this character should exemplify the lens. They could be really good at control. They could be really bad at it, but they control is all about this character. And so Michal, what are your, what are your thoughts? Who are you nominating? I'm going to have to go with Erebus because I think he's really inextricable from that he, he, you can't talk about him in this episode without talking about control and, and vice versa. Um, he is, you know, he is a presence, uh, you know, throughout history as Zubeya tells us he's, 
he's the reason Callum like brings the mirror along. He's obviously the one who gives us that that epic final scene. Um, and I think it really it it should make us ask questions, right? Because like all the other people in this episode, like we know we we have some idea of why they are so desperate to control the situations or people that they are so desperate to control. Um, and I don't think we know Erebus yet. And I think that's a really interesting thing to like think about because, you know, like you can make a villain who wants to control everything for no reason, but I don't think that's as compelling as having one who has reason. So right? yeah. yeah, that's something I'm thinking about. Yeah, you know, the way you just framed that reminded me of um, another book called the, My, the Body is Not an Apology um by uh sonia renee taylor i think um, i've heard of that one maybe yeah really beautiful work but in the book um they talk about the the ladder so to speak like we're all climbing the ladder and all we have to do is step off the ladder <laughs> in order for the ladder to no longer be a part of like the problem um Erebos, again, going to this like agency we talked about earlier, like is so good at recognizing when people are unwilling to get off the ladder, so to speak. Um, yeah, it's fascinating. Anyway, you're right. I, I think that Erebos is a solid nomination and I uh, contend that mine is better. So uh, I'm going <laughs> to argue, <laughs> I'm going to argue that for Terry here, um and I mean, it's hard to argue against terry like this doesn't put me in a very good position <laughs> like but to be fair you got to choose first so <laughs> <laughs> um, i'm gonna i'm gonna defend my my position here with with terry and i i think it comes down for me to not what happens in this episode but how terry follows up to this episode right we see terry in what feels like a rock bottom ish situation where like just taking the life of another being and is feeling just such immense grief and, and struggle with this, that they're looking anywhere and everywhere and they're recognizing that they're out of control. And that's what this ask is, right? This ask to Viren is a recognition saying, I, I can't do this. This is outside of me. It's I need something bigger than myself to play a role here. And then gets this piece of advice from Viren just to do better, get a grip. And he takes that, listens to it, processes it and says, no, thank you later. And says, no, I'm going to feel these feelings. And that's how I've, I've learned to do it. And that's what served me. And I just find that to be, I just want to be Terry, right? <laughs> I, I want to be Terry and I want that amount of release from control, right? I want, which ultimately gives him more control over his life. Like it's so counterintuitive. And so I, I'm, argue, or I'm arguing that controlling everyone by a puppet master is not as cool as a control as controlling the self by releasing control altogether. I respect that argument and I respect Terry for his ability to do that. <laughs> will say that per usual my history thus far uh, I have continued to lose every poll um, well I do I mean I do think I have an advantage here because like most people like Sierra Vos and click so yeah. right right this is what's gonna happen. like I, I just one day one day I will win one <laughs> um, 
but until then I will um, continue to be snarky and sassy, um, which is a really brilliant invitation for me to, to start thinking about gratitude. <laughs> so our, our final segment, and I'm, I'm really excited to hear your response to this is, is on gratitude because we really value, we know that the research points us to the fact that gratitude and joy are inextricably connected and we want more joy in our lives. And um, so what I will ask of you is who is the character from this episode that you are thankful for and a little bit about why? Um, I think this is a bit of a random pick, but I'm going to go with Bate. Ooh. Um, yeah. Bate has some quiet, like, epic moments. Like, he he is the one who brings Cal his scarf. He, like, really completes, you know, both, I think, the physical ensemble, but also the emotional ensemble. Yeah. Um, and then there's this tiny little moment that I love every single time I watch the episode where... I don't remember when, at what stage it started, but like ever since then, I've just been in love with it. When after Erevos, you know, gives his horrible line to Soren, um, and us as viewers are stinging from it along with him, Bate puts his little paw on Soren's foot and he rubs like comfortingly, and it's you know, and you could tell that Soren takes that in. And I like, I I feel that like you know part of Bates charm is being so communicative without words but like he almost didn't even have to grump at that point it could you know it, it was just that like I'm here for you I emotionally defend you I you know like I I, I love that moment so much yeah I agree oh that's so good I forgot about it until you mentioned it but I remember watching it and being like oh, oh. <laughs> thank you for that, that that goes from like oh to oh <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. No, I, I just, I love being reminded of that. Oh, that makes me want to just go watch it again. Dang. Okay. I, I'm going to pick Rayla. Um, hmm. And I, Rayla has been processing very differently than Callum, uh, their separation. And she comes in and is like, hey, like last episode, she's like, hey, how about I just sit with you and we don't talk. And I thought that was incredibly beautiful. And I love that. And then she is so good at not forcing herself onto this group of people that um, she's just so mindful of their feelings and really considerate of how they might receive her. And I think it's beautiful that they receive her with open arms. Ezra's like, yeah, duh, come on. But at the same time, the fact that she holds back and doesn't assume, I think is just a really gracious way of, of being with them and honoring their feelings. And I just, I'm really grateful for that to, to not assume and to um, go into that with just a, an open mind that they might, they might say no. And that's really hard. And so I imagine she, felt a lot of feelings about not moving forward and ugh, I just I'm really grateful for Ayla. Yeah, she oh. doesn't she doesn't rise to Callum's bait. And that's like yeah. a very, very strong moment for her. Yeah. Yeah. What a winner, right? Oh God. And Paula. So good. Okay. Oh Thanks. my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Don't get me started on that. I'll just talk forever. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. Okay. So We've talked about all the things now, and we, we have certainly missed a few. There were definitely some things in my notes that we didn't touch on, but so it goes. Uh, 
you've given us a lot of really cool thoughts. And so let's say that one of or two of our listeners might want to find you um, just to kind of hash out some of their thoughts on your thoughts. Um, how would you want them to find you if you wanted to be found? Um, I am on Twitter for probably as long as Twitter stays afloat because I'm addicted to that stupid <laughs> website. Um, and, uh, yeah, my, my handle is ink as rain, I N K A S R A I N. And, um, I'm also on Instagram, but really I literally only use that for like pins. <laughs> yeah. So if you want to see all the stupid pins that I like want in my life, um, you can follow me there. And I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to make accounts on new places, but I don't, you know, it's, it's a struggle. Yeah. How no, difficult do we have it that social media is a struggle? Yes. Believe me, you are preaching to the choir here. I also struggle with social media. <laughs> Despite that, uh, you can find Ink as Rain on Twitter, but you can also find our podcast at BNB underscore pod on all of the things and we would love to hear from you. Reach out to us. Check us out. Uh, even better, sign up for our Patreon where you can uh, have live episodes with me and my co-host for Bending Not Breaking. And we talk about all kinds of cool stuff. And we hope you'll join us, um, please. Um, yeah, I'm really grateful that you were here today and that we had a chance to, to break this down. This was a heavier conversation than I expected. Um, but all the, all the more thankful that it was, it was you and it was someone who was willing to um, lean into that with me. Thank you. It was, it was really wonderful to talk about it and kind of revisit some of, some of, I think, what we hoped we would be able to, to put into this episode. And I think, I think ultimately we're, so. Yeah. I, I mean, I got a lot, so <laughs> I am impressed. Uh, with that in mind, uh, that brings us to the end of this episode. And so thank you all for listening. We're really grateful to all of our patrons on Patreon, to you, especially our listeners. And if you ever wanted to support us and you couldn't do it financially, feel free to go. Just give us a nice review on something. Um, we'd love to, to hear that. Uh, and maybe we'll read it out if there's something really nice written out. Until next time, be well and do good.